welcome to MHTV. We've got an amazing, amazing one tonight for you. As you can see, we've got a ton of guests. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, radical mental health scenes. We're going to be talking about Asylum Magazine, all these different um, really interesting and innovative and actually been going for a long time projects. So I'll hand you to Vanessa, who will tell you how you can join in and share with us. Hello, everyone. As Nikki says, we're really looking forward to um, tonight's chat and we hope that you'll join in. Um, if you've not joined us before, then um, head over to Facebook and like the Unite MHNA page and you'll see the live, um, the live feed and you can comment in there and follow the conversation and watch it live. If you prefer Twitter, um, just go onto Twitter, find MHTV hashtag and I'll be tweeting there throughout the conversation, sharing highlights. You can ask any questions, comments, join the discussion generally. Um, we, we love to have a conversation. We love people's questions. So do ask any questions. And um, I'll hand you back over to Nikki. Fantastic. So I'll come to our guests one by one and let you introduce yourselves. It's always a bit creepy if somebody else introduced you because you never quite recognise yourself. So I'll come to you one by one. If just tell me a little bit about, about yourself. So Helen, can we come to you first? Yeah. Um, hi. Hi. So um, I'm Helen Spandler. I'm a Professor of Mental Health Studies at University of Central Lancashire and I'm editor of Asylum magazine and the principal investigator of a new project, research projects about mad zines. Radical Fantastic. Um, Jill, can I come to you next? Yeah. Hi, I'm Jill Anderson. Uh, I live in Lancaster. I work with Helen and Tamsin on the Mad Scenes Project as a researcher. Um, and I'm on the editorial group of Asylum magazine, so we overlap in both those ways. I've got a background in social work, um, social work education and uh, did an English degree originally, so I've kind of moved around a bit. And I'm involved in a mental health discussion group in Lancaster called CRAMP, which I can say a bit more about later. Fantastic. Tamsin. Uh, uh, I'm Tamsin. I'm a PhD student on the same project. Um, and I suppose my background, I've come through sort of voluntary sector service use to led mental health services. Oh, Fantastic. and creative stuff yeah fantastic we're already getting our first questions in what what is a zine is the first one which i think takes us into um mm -hmm. thinking about asylum because it's a, it's a big anniversary for asylum this year Can you tell us a bit about that helen yeah so um uh yeah asylum magazine was launched in spring 1986 so it's our 35 year anniversary this month uh so yeah we, it's quite an achievement really that we've been going for that this long and we started off uh this is our first ever issue that's um, very precious uh, it's in its plastic still <laughs> issue one one with an exclusive interview with rd lang uh, a very, <laughs> very famous anti-psychiatrist yeah. um and uh, yeah, so we was, it kind of started as a bit like a zine. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about zines, but it was really, it really started, it was sort of influenced by three main things. One was the Italian democratic psychiatry movement, where they closed down the asylums and tried to develop a more democratic mental health system. 
It was also influenced by the emerging anti-psychiatry movement that was very, um, that was kind of at its height at that point, I guess, or, or, or maybe waning a little bit. Um, and also the psychiatric survivor movement. So 1986, when Asylum was born, was also the time of a number of organisations that started mm. at that year. So Survivors Speak Out, one of the yeah. first survivor, mental health survivor organisations. The Bristol Crisis Service for Women also started in yeah. 1986. There's a number of organisations. So we were part really of a, of a groundswell in sort of critical or radical mental health organisations and movements. And we've been going ever since. Um, we've had a few years where we haven't been able to be produced for a number of reasons, but which is why the issue now is, is actually that then the new issue is out this week. So any subscribers will get their copy, I think, on Friday this week. That should be landing on people's doorsteps on Friday. I haven't got it in my hand because I haven't got a copy yet. Um, but yeah, and that's the, that's kind of that's really uh, asylum. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about radical mental health, what's radical about it? That's a very good question. <laughs> it's something we wrestled with for a long time. Um, and I guess what we, we used to be called the magazine for democratic psychiatry because we were influenced by um, the, the Italian movement for democratic mm. psychiatry. But we got a lot of criticisms from mental health activists and mad activists and um, psychiatric survivors. And, and we decided to move towards being called the magazine uh the radical mental health magazine mm. we wanted not to we wanted to distance ourselves just being concerned with psychiatry and we wanted to make it more radical so i guess the idea of it is that it brings together different voices that are that the voices you wouldn't normally hear in mainstream mental health debates so there's a lot of for example now you hear a lot about let's talk about mental health problems or um, mental health stigma um, or recovery, things like that, which are all good things. We're not necessarily against those things, but we try and have the magazine to uh, include voices that aren't usually heard in, in, in mainstream sort of media. Mm. So we, we include voices from sort of survivors and activists and also from grassroots workers as well and other people whose voices might not be heard very much. So we have a variety of different sort of... We don't really have a party line, well, we think it's radical in itself to have different voices in dialogue with each other. Mm -hmm. um, so that I guess that's what's radical or critical. And we cover, we've sort of helped to launch mad studies as well as a sort of critical discipline mm -hmm. or anti-discipline in relation to, to madness and distress. So it's really up for grabs what radical is, I think. Yeah. It's part so what, what, yeah, so what are you proudest about when you look at it's I mean, I love I love Asylum. I started reading it, you know, when I was a student, always getting hold copies of it. And uh, for me, it really helped me think about why I wanted to be a nurse and what kind of nurse I didn't want to be. That really, really helped me because there were things I came across in Asylum, ideas that I was never taught or, or things that I'd seen in practice that I didn't know were wrong. Until somebody, my service user, was given the space to say, you stop doing that. It's very, very unhelpful indeed. You're making me feel sicker. But like, oh, well, then I'll stop doing that. <laughs> like, so there was lots of stuff, I think, when you actually have that kind of debate, you know, and you see that kind of, you, you hear someone's heart speaking, that their experience speaking, you just like, take it on board. Mm. And you, you just change. Because it changes you whether you mean to or not. And I think there's something about 
asylum that meant a great deal, means a great deal to me. But I wondered about you guys. What does it what does it mean to you to be engaged in asylum? What are you proudest of about it? Mm. Anyone, go for it. Because well, <laughs> as the current editor, I'll be a bit sort of biased, I think. Mm. <laughs> Just to say, Nikki, that when we go to um, book fairs and things with asylum, people quite often come up um, and say, things very much along the lines you just said. Oh, so, I didn't say that. And I think for me, it is something about creating a space where people can have conversations and discussions on a level. It, you know, it, there's a kind of equality about the space, which mm. so that an example of what Helen was just talking about, I think, is recently, for instance, we had a psychologist and somebody that she was working with as a service user, both writing about their experience in, in pieces that kind of spoke to each other. And I, th I can imagine that, that students, current students or practitioners might find it really helpful to be able to read those kind of exchanges, which don't always happen. There isn't always space for them in other contexts. And I, I think the other thing I would say about it is I think there's something about asylum that is, is I suppose I would say slow. It's things are slowed down. So it's an actual physical publication, unlike Twitter or mm. other kinds of social media. People can't immediately respond. Um, sometimes it's several months. Sometimes people send a letter in. They might put a comment on the website, but it kind of creates, I think, a different kind of space for thinking as well as dialogue. Absolutely. Tamsin. Um, well, I, I'm not involved in asylum in the same way. I mean, I've kind of had sort of different contacts with it over the years. So like mm. when I was first aware of it was um, when I was part of a group called Women at the Margins. Um, and we sort of did um, an edition of Asylum. Uh, that one there. <laughs> it's like we oh, planned it, but actually we didn't. Well, I've got that edition. Yeah. And uh, so that was sort of when I was first aware of it, but then I've kind of done bits of stuff for it. Um, I, think, um, I, I think that I really like the, the stuff that Jill was saying about um, the slowness. Like, I think people get into a lot of arguments online and that kind of immediacy um, prevents people from just stopping and, and thinking and creating. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think that's one of the things I like about it. Mm, definitely, definitely. Well, so there's something about the kind of medium that it is that's, that's different and the space that it creates is different. What were you going to say, Helen? Sorry, I interrupted you. Sorry, yeah, I was just going to say one of the things I'm increasingly wanting to do more of, and as a group we're trying to do more of, and I'm proud of, is the mm -hmm. more of the creative work that we've included in the magazine more recently over the last sort of, well, 10 years or so. A lot of cartoons and creative work. That and that sort of overlaps the zine stuff, you know, rather than... In, in, the, in the first few years of, of Asylum, it used to be really long-winded articles, you know, long text-based articles which were quite academic. So we, I've really, I've, since I've 
been the editor, I've really tried to make it much more um, diverse in terms of types of um, stuff, material and making it much more visual as well and engaging with different senses, you know, the, you know, the visual as well as the, as the head as the, the head and the heart, I guess. And we've had some fantastic zinesters and cartoonists like Tamsin and various other people who've done some fantastic um, work for us that's really brought the magazine to life, I think. When we're talking about a zine, what are we talking about? I can see that there's, there's another person going, will you say what a zine is? All right. <laughs> it's a very difficult question to answer. Yeah. Basically, a zine is, is um, a DIY produced um, booklet of some sort. It could be anything. So Asylum could be said to be a zine. But classically, they're kind of smaller um, DIY hand-produced they're not, not for profit, a low circulation. Yeah. <laughs> we actually produced, well, Jill actually produced a, a zine, an asylum zine. So we turned Asylum magazine into a little mini, this is called a mini zine. Yeah. So it's one page, this is just one A4 page yeah. turned into a little mini zine. But zines can come in so many different shapes and sizes. Mm. And they can't. They can. They can be anything. So it's really hard to say what a zine is. And in fact, lots of people can. There's a huge debate about what zines are. Beautiful. Um, classic, I love them. Classic things are perzine, which is a personal zine, mm. which is where mm. somebody writes does a zine based on their personal experience. But there's also mm. like um, collectively produced zines, like this one from Recovery in the Bin. Yeah. They produced. Sorry, it's upside down. Yeah, produced a zine which has lots of different people writing in it. Yeah, um, and we're we'll trying to put some links to these up if you're if you're looking on Twitter. So don't worry, we'll get them up. So this is recovery in the bin zine, and, and there's another really good one by Dear GP. Yeah, I think you've seen this. This is a fantastic zine um, where people write stuff about their uh, contact <laughs> health clinicians. Yes, <laughs> lots to be learned from, I think, in in Dear GP. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. It's not really easy to say what a zine is, but hopefully we've shown a little bit of some what zines could be. Can I add a couple of things, Helen? One one is I think zines are often, I mean, they're generally not for profit and um, low circulation. Um, and they're generally, the person who has write, written it or the people who write it are generally in control of the whole process from the first idea through writing it, creating it, publishing it, distributing it. So generally there wouldn't be a publisher involved. And in that sense, they're often very rooted in people's lived experience in one way or another. Not all, they're about a whole a variety of things. So we're interested in, I guess, the whole mental health, mm. um, madness, distress, area but there are also art zines and um stories and zines about anything yeah it's a really interesting thing isn't it because i remember first seeing zines when i was a student <clears throat> some years ago <laughs> in, in manchester and you'd find them in like pub and club toilets where people would like almost you know just like set but obviously come out with a load of them on a night out and just leave them everywhere they happen to have gone um and i used to love them now, I don't know how I'd feel about picking up a load of stuff in a, in a toilet, but at the time, I never really thought about it. I mean, they have, to, <laughs> but, 
they kind of have different roots. People sort of, yeah. there's all sorts of debates and arguments about where they started, but they certainly started sort of in the underground kind of yeah. alternative scene. So that girl zines in relation to sort of um, feminism and also punk zines were quite yeah. famous. And also, of course, football zines, yeah. zines were quite big as well. So they were, and, and the classic thing about them was that you had the official programme from a football match. Supporters mm. who made their own fanzines, which were much more honest. So you had the official, uh, you know, football uh, club line, but the but the actual zines were much more interesting because that was what supporters really thought. But that's that's isn't that true? The truth is always way more interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and that's you what know. that's what why zines are so interesting to us is because they offer. I think they offer a, a route into something perhaps more more truthful or authentic or real in, compared to the official mental health discourse and policy that we often hear. Mm. It's like, the sorts of things that it makes me think of are those kind of eighteenth like century kind of scandal rags where the truth is is told whether you like it or not. Handbills they're just printed out, and there's a real tradition of that. But also it links into the stuff that's going on now with sort of craftivism, with that kind of maker culture. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing a lot more. We, I know at the, our university we're starting to collect them, particularly the health ones, because they're so interesting and they're so, they provide such a really important counterpoint, I think, to, to sort of more traditional research. It's a different type of experience, isn't it? Mm. So what, what, what do you guys think is, is, about, is going on that people are so much more interested now than they, they were, perhaps? Because you guys have got a project as well, which we probably should come around to. It's <laughs> the Madzine's uh, research project. And, and I, I mean, I think personally, it's something to do with people are, are quite tired of the digital. And you know what Jill and Tamsin were saying earlier about the kind of instant and argument stuff that gets played out on online a lot. And I think what Zines offers is something more personal, something more um, creative and something, something less that's the digital world because mm. um, what happens is you can send off for them on like Etsy and various yeah. crap and then when and then you actually receive them in the post with like a little note from the zine maker I mean Tamsin, mm. this morning I got some from Tamsin Tamsin sends me her zines and I got a little packet today of, of Tamsin zines which I opened it is so lovely to get these you know handcraft with a little message in them and even got a chocolate bar with it I'm in <laughs> and that's classic of what what you get with zine, which yeah. is so different from engaging on digital stuff mm. because you know it's it feels quite alienating sometimes so i think it's something about getting getting back something of what we've lost per personally that's how i feel about it anyway and i i think just uh, somebody mentioned i think young people and there are lots of projects doing zine making with young people recently and i i think one um, things certainly that's been around in Lancaster has been a, a sense that a lot of the youth acti activities were quite geared up to things like sport, I mean, as well as the computer thing, very sort of active sporting activities and things, and that there was a bit of an appetite for making things, which may link to your craftivism idea, Nikki, but I think generally over the last few years, there's been a lot more kind of knitting, sewing, those yeah. kind of activities and a recognition that there, that young people, some young people are quite hungry for things that developing 
a space where they can do things like that. Mm, yeah. It's, I was just going to say it's like that embodied kind of tactile nature of it. You know, it's not just that people own it and that they can kind of set the agenda um, and that they can shape the whole physical being of the zine around the idea or they kind of can mesh together and create at the same time. But it's also that it's a, a solid physical thing at the end of the day you've made something mm. you know that you can go look I've, I've done this and it and it and it, it's very real whereas the, you know all the stuff online it feels very disconnected you know disembodied mm. sometimes yeah. isn't it? we're gonna come to Vanessa in a minute but I think perhaps before we do that just hear what everyone's saying but before we do that maybe you could tell us a little bit about the project itself so what is it that you've set up to do and what you're hoping to find shall I start and chip in. So yeah, so our project, um, it's funded by the Wellcome Trust. Um, and the three of us are working on it, but we're working alongside a kind of quite a diverse group of people who make zines or have um, an interest in, in, in zines. And um, our aim is really to explore this whole um, I suppose what we've identified as a range of mad zines, so zines which are um, which which deal in different ways with people's experiences of madness and distress, but come at mental health perhaps from a a slightly different angle. And I think the discussion about asylum perhaps gives a sense of the kinds of angles that those might be. Um, and um, so th those kinds of zines which have a critical, perhaps challenging approach that are trying to look at different ways of understanding um, and exploring mental health, nobody has yet really, um, I suppose, described them as a, a distinct category of of zines. So that there's been, for instance, people have looked at, have I have seen that there are a group of zines that are based on people's personal experience called per zines, as Helen mentioned. Or um there might be, you know, people have recognized particular categories of, I don't know, feminist zines or art zines. Um, but we have just tentatively, I suppose, we're interested in this idea that there is a group of zines which we're calling mad zines, which um, have this kind of critical approach. And what we're interested in doing is we're collecting them. So we're really interested if anybody has got any examples, please have a look at our website, see how we're describing them and, and engage with us about that or send us some. Um, we'll be tweeting that and we'll put it on the Facebook link. Right. So if you do have anything or you do know of anybody, please hook them up because it's it's really important, I think, to gather this stuff because maybe we will lose it if we don't. Yeah, and that would be absolutely. really sad. So so we're, we're and we're hoping to work with existing. There are some existing archives. We'd like to be going and sitting in them and looking at zines. That hasn't been possible, but um, we're hoping to, you know, to identify these and then perhaps to work with archives for them to hold them. Um, we're also um, 
so we're reading them we're thinking about what it is that they do and how they how they challenge these ideas what what are the ideas that are in them um and i think what i think it perhaps i'll i'll stop in a minute and let other people chip in but i think an important thing is that we are particularly interested i suppose not not just or not specifically in we're not we're not trying to analyze you know what it is that they're not content the, analysis yeah so we're not, we're more interested in what the zines are doing because we think uh -huh. they're doing very interesting things and in the ways that you mentioned about picking them up in the pub leaves or whatever <laughs> zines well, move around they're, <laughs> they're small and they move yeah. around very easily yeah. And they can be left in places and they could be put in the pages of a book or left on a bus or so we're kind of interested in their power to to shift ideas around and get discussions moving so i like the way they could sneak into people's lives i like that mm. that's a nice thing yeah yeah is there anything else that you guys wanted to say particularly about the project before we come to vanessa and then i think we do need to at some point as well to come to you tamsin separately perhaps just to talk about your work as well so anything about the website and the project um yeah, so we're kind of updating the, the website at the moment and we're we're adding stuff to it um all the time uh jill's just made a great video about the math because the other thing we're actually doing is we're co-producing new zines as well jill is well jill and tamsin are both making lots of zines yeah and the one yeah. that jill's holding up uh was the one we did initially for the project that was our we, we did a project proposal to get funding for this and jill turned it into a zine and we've done that a lot and and also for example we've got our methodology that jill turned our methodology into a zine which is fantastic mm. we're trying we're trying to practice what we preach rather than just yeah. analyze them we're trying to sort of have a mad zine methodology if you like a way of doing research that is um that that sits comfortably with both mad studies, if you like, a mad kind of approach, a critical mental health approach, and also a zine that's sensitive to zine and zine culture and zine making as well, which has mm. been a real challenge, but we're really, we're really kind of excited about developing these ideas and, and finding out where it where it takes us. And I think just to add that that's, you know, it's not that we're trying to somehow muscle in on zine culture, but it's more that we're finding that through the process of making zines that I suppose what Tamsin was talking about the very embodied nature of actually making them and also sharing them mm. with I think that's helping us develop a different kind of understanding than we mm. would if we were just kind of sitting there mm. studying them mm. so I was telling Helen earlier that I produced this rather personal zine mm. and was involved in a zine swap which is a quite a, a feature of zine culture and it involved me sending my the hard copy of my zine to somebody else in Canada mm. and the idea was they would send their zine back mm -hmm. but they never did and I never knew whether they received mine and I think the understanding that I gained from that or something around that swapping what mm. that means mm. uh, was very different from just reading about other people 
There's a real vulnerability in it, mm. isn't it? When you share your personal information or, your per- or the heart of how you feel mm. about something, that suddenly, and, and you invest time and effort in it, all of a sudden it becomes absolutely concrete, doesn't it? That that emotion. Wow, that's really that's really interesting, isn't it? And also, I think putting your methodology in a zine might actually mean that someone reads it, which never happens to people's research methodologies, ever. Everyone skips that bit. They just look at it, see if it looks sort of okay, straight on to the next bit. So can we come to Vanessa briefly before we... So I appreciate you've got to nip back off a second. Yeah. Vanessa? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, on um, Twitter, there's a lot of support, um, certainly for asylum and... um, and people who who are you know sharing their own lived experiences of how it's been useful for them. Um, there was a comment about how um, you know the ambivalence in asylum about mental health, which you know somebody's commented was really useful in terms of their experience. One of the things um, that I think is interesting as well is, and I know you said that you're not looking at the content of um, Zine specifically. But I think um, the sort of historical context of them will be quite useful, won't it, as time goes on? Because thinking about what Nikki was saying at the beginning, um, and I share that, when I went into mental health nursing back in the early 1990s, I remember thinking, wow, a lot of the people I knew, you know, including relatives who had, you know, serious mental health difficulties, um, you know, the, the you know these people in hospital are being seen as... Um, sort of somebody very different to the people that I know in my life who are human beings who have interesting lives and and strengths and you know the medical culture at the time was very very reductionist and very focused on people being ill and the deficit of illness wasn't it and then I think um a discovery for me was you know was social media and twitter definitely being able to have those democratic conversations with people whether you work in services or you've got mental health difficulties or you know both which is often the case um but as you say recently it's got more negative and at times quite toxic online hasn't it and I and I totally get where you're coming from about the zines providing some sort of positive more positive response um on things and so that got me thinking about history and where we'll be you know in another 10 years really and whilst you're not looking at the content specifically now I think that'd be really interesting in a few years time have you thought have you thought about that had those conversations yourselves uh, I mean the projects is a three-year project um, uh, but I'm sure that we'll carry on thinking about this hopefully for many many years mm-hmm. we've not really thought too much about about the future really mm. I guess you know there is something about zine culture that's very of the moment and I think it's partly because of the rise of ma- new forms of marginalized identities yeah. Yeah. trans people non-binary people um neurodiverse people you know who's starting who've been marginalized in the past and then maybe now uh, and you know are, are starting to have more of a voice or more of a platform or, and people who are sort of out with the main the main so they might be the lesbian and gay movement or whatever, and people who may feel slightly outside of that, or the mainstream mental health service movement, people who feel slightly outside of that. So it's sort of increasing the diversity of people's voices. So I guess it depends what happens with those subcultures and what happens with with mainstream and different experiences and identities, really, What to a certain extent, what happens to zines. So I guess 
Mm-hmm. Who, knows, really? yeah, who knows yeah I think um that in itself is interesting isn't it that it's allowing marginalized voices to be heard because we know that in history we often don't hear what happened from a sort of marginalized perspective we get the mainstream perspective so you know it is it is collecting a sort of historical voice and a different voice isn't it about mental health mm. yeah, yeah I do have some um, questions coming through if you you ready for them you ready you both so thank you very much, Mike. Um, I keep saying Mike and Quant, that it always reminds me of EastEnders, and I keep saying rise above it, Nikki, in my head. <laughs> and then I don't. <laughs> so we've got Michael Ramsey and, and Grant Fraser-King from last week who talked so brilliantly about empathy, saying, um, one, he's using one of Helen's um, papers in the year one material, so get ready, Helen, to be misquoted by first years. Lovely. Hello, first years. <laughs> and, um, this idea, of, Adina's talking about um, being ambivalent about madness is really important. It's really, um, it's a really key thing to have that. Um, Michael wants to know, is there a positive reaction to the creative uh, content? Um, they, his experience is they provoke, a posit- they provoke a positive, but qualitatively different reaction when he shares them in class. And I wondered what you thought with, if you noticed them getting a different response. Uh, Zine's Jimmy, do you want to say anything, Tamsin, about that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know that what I was going to say is entirely helpful, um, but I was it. just going to say that, um, so I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. I was just going to say that what I have, um, so I've done quite a lot of talks where I wanted to use zines for like handouts and stuff. And so when I've given them as handouts after after doing talks or lectures or whatever, um, people have kind of looked at me like, what, what, what are you giving me this for? It's not, it's not a book. It's not a reading list. It's a, you know, it's not. So um they didn't really see the, the value in it, mm. I think, but yeah. Well, that's interesting, yeah. just, that, just to say, I wonder if um, the context quite important, because I've certainly found when I've been handing out leaflets about asylum, I've, I have a sense like people just leave them or, you know, I've got a sense they stuff them in their bag. Um, but actually, when we were distributing the zines, there's something people sometimes just really seize on them and there's something that feels mm. more like something valuable in that exchange mm. and I found with students that that carries over so I think I found that similar reaction that people quite value them. Yeah. So some people some people really don't know quite where to put them yeah. in their heads. Like, what am I being given? I can see it's important because it's personal, but I don't know what to, to do with it. Yeah. I suppose traditionally in academia, you know, everything's text has been really valued, mm-hmm. um, and images haven't been, and things like that. So, and one of the one of the things that really attracts me to zines is that I'm getting quite tired of reading long winded, text based, heavy theoretical articles. You know, um, some of which are brilliant, but some of which, you know, you can kind of quite turgid at times. And and I love the fact that, that zines can condense such critical, interesting, unsettling, challenging ideas in such a simple but beautiful way. Um, and I guess so I guess it depends on what you're looking for. And also, also people learn in different ways. Some people learn visually, some people learn by text, some people learn lots of different ways so i guess that's part of part of the, our engagement with them it's like they've got an ex- intrinsic value that that people don't necessarily see that because we we're not taught to, to value the type of 
document that they are. Yeah. So it's interesting when you think, so who, who, who is the person writing for? Yeah. And if they're writing for a bunch of people who can't understand what they're talking about, then they're not, they're not. You know, it's really interesting. Now, you look at a lot of the research that's coming out. I saw a fantastic piece of research the other day that was about um, young people's lives and gentrifying South London, which, if it was written up, would have been boring as. But the young people involved had done this really creative project. They'd done a zine about how they'd undertaken the research, what they'd found, what their lives were like, and what they thought about their homes and the, the place where they lived, just changing around them with no reference to them at all. And I know it's going to stay with me. It was beautiful and it was important and it was heartbreaking and it was, you know, and I can't remember the last time I read a research paper and came across thinking, this is heartbreaking and beautiful and important. I was like, I don't know what that word means. <laughs> so there's something, if you want to communicate, you have to think about who you want to communicate to. Gwen said something here about um, the narrative is important, but how it's produced also creates a really strong message, which I think is echoing what you guys were saying. Yeah. I've got a couple more questions. What did you want to take them, Vanessa? No, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> on a right chatting. I'm in the flow of it. I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah. chip in. <laughs> so we've got a great one from Stephen, and it's a, it's a, bear with me, it's a long one, but it's a good one. Does the panel think that zines or other radical publications or mediums actually uh, contribute or challenge to challenge the echo chambers in mental health psychiatry? Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Mm. The, 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 the answer was came in the medium of rice smiles and worried, concerned eyes. So I reckon both was, was where we're going to end up. <laughs> I want to take the one? My view is that there's echo chambers everywhere. Mm. Um, psychiatry has its own echo chamber, and there are other echo chambers too, you know, sort of even in critical mental health stuff, I think there are echo chambers, you know, critical psychiatry or critical psychology or mad studies and all that sort of stuff. I think that can often happen, and I guess... What I like about zines is they're not necessarily signed up to any party line or any sort of particular professional grouping or academic grouping or anything like that. So I'm yeah. hopefully they can challenge all kinds of different echo chambers and, and create some sort of dialogue between them, which is where we sort of started out. Yeah, there can be something really elitist though, can't there, as well about writing and who gets to write and whether you're good enough to write and what will get published and what won't. So. I can imagine from a social class point of view, looking at sort of mental health, you know, and the intersections that it gives people an opportunity to have their say, regardless of whether they're really good writers. You know, some people, as you say, might be really good at producing a cartoon and talking about their experiences that way. It's not really about how good you are at writing. It's about, you know, what you want to say and sharing your experiences. So I can mm -hmm. see them really sort of challenging the status quo in that sense as well. Mm -hmm. I think that, so many people, you know, have got so much to say, but you never hear their thoughts. You never see anything written by them because not everyone feels that they can write mm. or that they get the opportunity. So. You've got a devil's advocate question. Oh, go on. Do, do you finish what you're going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that I think from being a bit immersed in them, mm. um, that a lot of their power does come from the sort of the fact that they're not very finished and polished and yeah, exactly. that, that yeah. goes for the production of them but yeah. also the messages of them are yeah. not all polished you know, tied yeah. up they're not they're not saying you know this is my argument and it places me on that side of this yeah. or that side they're often confusing quirky mm. you might not quite know where they're 
coming from, but there's something powerful about that. Yeah. It's like a conversation instead of a speech, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Mm. Yeah. I think what can happen in, um, in in mental health service as well is sort of the whole recovery narrative, which is very powerful and works for some people, but for some people it doesn't. And I think things like zines allow a space for different experiences that fit within the uh, accepted narrative of whether it's recovery or, or whatever it is. I think mm. allow things to be unfinished and n not providing a nice conclusion or answer, but let's yeah. sit with that uncertainty and let's just sit with those feelings that, you know, mm. and I think that's really important in, in mental health to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah and, that, and that echoes somebody's comment, doesn't it, as well, um, about ambiguity and that that's what their value, that totally fits with what you've just said, really. Mm. And and the recovery narrative is great, but, you know, talking about social media again, you know, people are polarised, aren't they? And I've seen so many conversations where, you know, there's two very competing perspectives um, and people lose sight of, you know, the person's experience in the middle of it. And it becomes a sort of academic argument about, mm. um, you know, which discipline is right, which evidence is, is the correct evidence rather than focusing on somebody's experience which as you say might not have any conclusions it's just somebody's experience and perspective does it need to have um a theoretical um yeah. background to it you know it can be just somebody's experience and yeah. you know often that messy isn't it so and also i think it's something about changing what we see as theory because i think we tend to see theory as things that clever may usually may white male people who write who write clever yeah. books stuff like that but actually i think zinesters are theorists in their own way they're creating new ways to think about something well that's theory as far as i'm concerned yeah we've got a devil's have a question from dina so thank you very much for that one and, and they're basically saying you know talking about academic um the the and exactly the thing you were talking about that anxiety around academics honing in on somebody else's turf they're saying you know um where are the mad people in all this where are the mad people in your project you know, so it's not just three academic women telling people about survivors' stories. But what's what's the response to that one? Well, I think it's interesting that there's an assumption that none of us are mad. Is my initial response. You know, I've worked in mental health services for twenty years, but you know, I spent ten years in services before I started working in them. I spent ten years using services, and um, so. I've always found, I always find that assumption um, interesting. Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting when we teach as well. So I remember teaching and I remember, I can't, I can't exact the exact scenario, but um, teaching a load of social workers and kind of, they always assume that when you're talking about mental health, people with mental health problems or mad people, that you're talking about some, a lot of people out there. But of course, everybody, you know, there's always going to be people in the room who've had, Mm. issues of some sort or other however that's defined and also we're looking at a range of different things around neurodiversity autism trans experience any experience that has been psychiatrized in some yeah. way and I, and I think we've probably all had something along those or that could have been psychiatrized at some point in history if not now um, but also we, we're engaging with a lot of mad identified zinesters the part of our project too um, so yeah, but it's a good question. But yeah, absolutely. 
Adina is happy with your answer. She's got the smiley, little cheeky uh, emoticon, which is great. <laughs> uh, Mick McEwen, hello Mick, says, um, could the panel say something about humour in zines, which is a great question because we've got humour coming up as a topic next week. So yeah. humour in zines, you guys. Are you funny? Is this funny? Uh, well, who wants to say something about that? Um, I think not all zines are funny, for sure. Um, but I think certainly the cartoon stuff we're interested in, the single panel cartoon stuff that's kind of got me into this. Because one of the reasons I got into this project was through analysing the first 30 years of Asylum magazine. And one of the things that I was really drawn to was the, the cartoons and images. And I wrote a whole chapter um, which included Tamsin's cartoons that she did for our special self-harm zine. And there was something quite humorous about those, humorous but in a good way, not, you know, not just funny, but mm. the way that she and others cartoonists had used humor to challenge and turn on its head some of our assumptions around certain things. Mm. Humor is a really important part of uh, zines, importance, but they're not, not all zines are, are humorous, though. Mm. I don't know if you can say more about that, Tamsin, given you've... That you can make this bit slow. Go on. Old, humorous. Not, not. <laughs> uh, my internet unstable. I think my cartoons are funny, but other people might not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, there's certain zinesters that we're working with, like Dolly Sen. Yeah. Uh, Hilarious. Who are classic. Yeah. We'd call classic zine, mad zinesters. Their zines are really funny, but they're also really moving and critical yep. and informative yep. and all those things. I think they're sort of classic um, mad zines. She's properly um, rebellious in every way that it's it's something that you want to be, isn't it? So in her, her ability to cause trouble, trouble is just, it's like, it's like an Olympic level gift of making there's always the right kind of trouble that needs to be created it's this really spectacular thing yeah, well, this idea that someone who's drawing a picture isn't isn't communicating an important idea is is madness when you look at the, some of the i would say the stunts but some of the art she's created it goes straight to the heart of the matter in a way that thousands of words wouldn't do and we're actually we're with through this project we're linking dolly for instance into a group in Lancaster that Helen and I have both been involved with. And we've been having a lot of discussion over recent months about the kind of the pressures, the way in which society pressurizes people mm. to fit into certain ways and yeah. a certain view of idea of normality and how difficult it can be to resist that. And and in different ways, people in the group have been struggling with that. So bringing Dolly into that to help us think about how we can be more um, sort of um, subversive, if you like, and how she's what she's learned about that is is feeling really fruitful. And and I think we're we're moving some zines around as part of that. And some of those use humour in really powerful ways. Mm -hmm. I think the word gasoline and fire are coming to my mind, but okay, let's see how yeah. it turns out. <laughs> Ellen, go on. We did a, a piece from Dolly in the last issue of Asylum 
not the current one that's coming out, the previous one about her action to section the Department of Work and Pensions. Um, Perfect. That so, made me laugh my head off when I saw that. I laughed till I cried when I first saw that. It's such a Dolly, Dolly send thing to do. Only Dolly could have thought of it, but it's such a brilliant idea. Being a, was it to be a danger to themselves and others? It's like, yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. My favourite of all was the trip advisor of the Maudsley, which will never stop being funny because I would have hated that to happen to me, but I totally think it's kind of funny that it happened to anyone else. <laughs> I wonder, Tamsin, is your internet good enough for, for, to tell us a bit about your project before we start thinking about winding up and wrapping up for tonight? Um, I don't know. I'll give it a go. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so basically the... My, the stuff I'm doing is about um, the, the processings, and I'm mostly focusing on women, uh, especially sort of women of colour, working class women, people who are not, um, who you don't hear from. Um, and I'm talking to people who are already making zines and sharing zines, um, sort of mental health activists or survivor activists, and going to be doing some making leading workshops with people um and then sort of talking to them about the, what that's been like <laughs> and see what they make um, fantastic and it's come it's come from um being frustrated so i you know i've kind of i bring together all these sort of different things so i've got the kind of art side and i've got you know have the sort of 10 years as a service user 20 years working in services um, and a frustration about um, service user involvement and the way that it tends to be um, centred around the needs of services as opposed to the needs yeah. of people using services or who, who might use services and, and about the, the use of language. So the expectation that people use a, quite a professional language and we're like office wear and talking a meeting or a conference instead of um, going, well, how, how do you want to communicate with me? what shape do you want your narrative to be what language do you want to use and um, so it's kind of come out of that really mm. um, and i think there's something really there's a lot of potential in zines um mm. in terms of people's personal message and connecting sort of personal and political together but also mm. that kind of linking with other people and um you know community is really important in terms of mental health Definitely. But also in terms of people having a voice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there anywhere that people can see your work or as it's developing or hear what you're saying or join in in some way? Um, we've got a, on the website, we've got one of my uh, comics, which is sort of about what I'm doing. Um, so presumably, and then we've got Mad Scene on Instagram as Fantastic. well. Yeah, we'll make sure that gets sent out. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. I guess we're going to we'll run out of time. Just as I'm, I'm actually getting ready to settle down and restart digging into this, it's time for us to stop, which is always the way. But if, if this is a subject you're really interested in and the people who are watching and you want to hear more of it, just let us know. That's no problem. Um, and also, as a lot of us will we'll check back over the... Uh, Twitter feed and the Facebook live feed and we'll put links in where we can to things that, that you might want to follow up on as well but I guess we need to to go round to one and all. Um, can we start with Vanessa? Is there anything that I've missed or anything that you wanted to add? Yeah, no, just to say thank you. I mean it's been a really fascinating um, conversation tonight and um, and I'll be um, 
looking up um, certainly on the Instagram and, and the website and we'll be sharing links because I'm sure there'll be lots of people uh, wanting to get involved and conversation just seems to be developing as we often find so we'll keep an eye on the Twitter feed as well and um, you know we'll answer anybody's questions or refer on to yourselves if we can um, but I think as Nikki says maybe this is a conversation that we do need to come back to as things develop and um, really interested and particularly interested as you say as you've said and it's come across strongly about how we get different voices heard Tam's in your project sounds brilliant particularly about getting working class voices mm. heard because that's something that people don't talk about we talk a lot about marginalized groups but we don't often talk about working class voices do we and I think that's really important and um, really interested to see how that develops as well so yeah thank you everybody that's it from me really Helen, is there anything you wanted to add? Uh, well, no. I mean, if people want to make some madzines or have made madzines and want to send them this, send them to us. We'd love to have, love to receive them. Um, yeah, and if people want to contribute to Asylum Magazine as well, let us know or subscribe. Um, and yeah, follow us on on Zines Mad on Twitter. Mm. Keep track of our website, and it'd be lovely to hear from people. Absolutely, Jill. Yeah, I think just um, picking up on that discussion about um, zines as a more rough-edged way of knowing, I think there's a load of pressure often in universities and coming sometimes from students as well, that, that we have to sort of, the ideas have to be kind of all very um, packaged and, and neat and um, that there is somehow a truth out there that we need to get to. So I'm particularly interested in the usefulness of zines in teaching, how they can be used and created with and by students, and also how the ideas in zines can be um, moved around in universities. So if there's anybody out there who's using them or interested in that or has ideas about that, I'd be very, very interested to talk. Mm. Absolutely. Tamsin? I don't know that I've got anything else to add. <laughs> it's not the law. <laughs> have to. <laughs> Should we finish up then? Um, just to say that obviously uh, International Women's Day is coming up soon yes. and Vanessa and I are going to be doing some stuff for that as I think tons of people are. And that's another thing that's changed. Isn't it? I remember in the 90s, you could barely get anyone to be involved in it at all. Now it's actually quite hard pushed to find somebody who isn't doing something on that day. Mm. So it's fantastic. Did you want to say anything about what's coming up for us on that day? Or should yeah. we treat it out later? It's up um, to you. Yeah, no, just to say that we're, we're doing a session, aren't we, next week on International Women's Day. And um, we've come up with a hashtag being women. So if you're on Twitter, what we'd love to hear is any um, comments, tweets about well-being, really, how you know, self, your own self-care, what you do for well-being. And um, we want to feed those into the conversation next week. So um, just get into it. Maybe one of the things you'll be doing is making a zine now. So that's a good yeah. thing. So guys, thank you so, so much for your time tonight. It's a really interesting discussion. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Just best for us to say good night now. Night night. Bye. Thank you. Bye.
Thank you.